So you're putting people in the right seat and you're, you're, you're keeping people, you're leading them to their strengths. So you're putting them in the right strengths so they can work on their strengths. And then you're coaching them to like, use it more, use it more, maximize this. Instead of saying, you're not good at sticking to the project. It's like, well, duh, you know, that's not who they are. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. More than ever, employers are struggling with employee engagement. Some businesses claim that remote employees are harder to manage, and many surveys indicate that remote employees feel disengaged from their peers and their companies. But when they've tried to return to in-person workplaces, employers have received pushback. Since the beginning of the pandemic, I've argued that organizations with effective leadership and truly engaged employees will be successful whether they are remote or not. But sadly, most organizations are lacking in both leadership and employee engagement. Today's guest says that creating a thriving company culture requires a unique understanding of what motivates employees. And here's a hint, it ain't just money. Randall Widenar has worked with teams from over 40 countries in the areas of marketing and culture development. He is founder of Culture VP, a consulting firm that uses attachment science to help firms build thriving cultures. He'll also be the luncheon speaker at Fort Worth HR's October 20th monthly meeting. Thanks for joining me, Randall. Sure. Thanks, Mike. So before we get to our core topic, help me understand how somebody in the marketing world got interested in transforming workplace cultures. Well, marketing is a lot about motivating people, and you get into the the nitty-gritty of what motivates all people. And um, I started doing a leadership series and that, that asked some big questions for me. It's like, and I begin to see that people don't follow the individual so much as they want to go where the individual is going already. That true leadership is, is, is truly establishing a place that some places someone is already going. So, and that's true of the marketing world as well. So that brought me into exploring this and I just kept going as, as I explored more and more, I got more excited about finding this truth that became sort of my research passion of finding out what is the one thing that motivates all people and in a singular thing rather than like what are a bunch of things that motivate all people if you knew what that one thing was you could build a culture around that and um so that became my my fascination my 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 destination that i set my course for and it it has affected me ever since on this journey towards building cultures so what'd you figure out? What is the, what's that magic bullet? What's that one thing? Cause clearly it's not standing behind your employees with a whip or, sure, or, or sure. brow beating them. Sure. It, it, uh, it's a curious question. So a lot of times when you ask questions, we ask the question, I go around and I sit next to CEOs and I, I ask even welders and line employees, what's the one thing? And I get a billion different answers. And, and that's, what's kind of, Interesting. It's like, so what is it? And then you find out that 70% of, of, of employees are disengaged. And so it's like, well, it doesn't seem like the employees or the leaders have really figured out what it is. And, um, but when I ask the question differently, everyone comes up with the same answer. You know, so I ask the question, people usually say, you know, money and 
uh, enjoyment and or, you know, I want to do something big, a big dream or something like that. And it, it usually falls within those three categories of what just flies out of people's mouths off the top of their head. And then I said, well, th so then I changed the question around a little bit so that the right brain actually engages with the question and ask people. So if you um, if you had just one thing, you know, so it narrows it down to one thing that could satisfy you, not just for now, but for forever. So that changed the question around completely. And then I offer those three things that people always say. And that's all you get. It's just that one thing like money alone or achievement alone or uh, an enjoyment of a job alone. You could just do that one job for the rest of eternity. I said, or you could be surrounded by those who value and care for you for all eternity. Which would you choose? And I get 100% uniformity in everyone choosing. I want to be surrounded by people who value and care for me. And so um, that has become the one thing and um, that I structure cultures around. And I find that that's the number one thing. People are not focused. See, I don't have to get people to think about it. They, they answer the question in a nanosecond. It's not like they, they go, oh, let me think about those four. They just, they just know. Everyone knows. And the audiences that I speak to, just it's immediate. And that's, that's intriguing. So the question becomes like, why aren't we focused on that then? So that's kind of the what's in it for me, for the employee, the ultimate what's in it for me or the ultimate with them is, is I want to work with somebody. I want to work with people who value and appreciate me. Exactly. It's, yeah, that's right, Mike. It, it's, the, it's the being valued by others and valuing others. That exchange of being valued in, 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 in community, in cultures, in relationship, in connection with others. And, and ultimately, when we're in business, we're doing that with – we're creating things for people. So essentially, mm -hmm. we're creating some sort of valuing process, service, or, or product for people. Right. And we're doing it with people. So it's, it's, you know, if there's no people in the process, there's no reason to have an organization come together to form a culture. So it really is what we're doing. The, the financial things are, are trailing indicators that we're actually creating value for people. We don't, you don't set up a business. Some people set up businesses to extract finances out of people. Ultimately, that falls apart um, uh, because people want to be valued. That's the bottom core issue that people, that's the motivator. That's interesting because this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing value to shareholders, employees, yeah. and the community. So, yeah. so that makes sense. Okay. And so really you're just looking at um, uh, employees as a stakeholder and as a customer of, of management. That's a good point. Yeah. It, it's their stakeholders. Everyone is a stakeholder in the whole process, you know, from the people receiving the product or service to the, to the teams that make it, to the individual that shows up, um, they're all critical points in that chain of creating value. And, and it's kind of reciprocal as, as the person comes to the, their workplace with self value and they lend that to the team and the team sort of magnifies that by helping that individual feel valued in, in the, what they do and how they do it. Then the customers feel that and they reciprocate with, with their gratitude and, and, and financial remuneration. So it's this nice, um, reciprocal balance. And that's not just balanced theoretically, it's balanced in case studies and actual economics. So um, you could just imagine as people thrive like that, they succeed. You know, So you put a bunch of those thriving people together and you get even greater success. It magnifies uh, the potential of each individual. So this is more than just patting them on the back and saying, hey, thanks for what you did today. Yeah. Yeah. So 
in my so that that's exactly the point is like uh, people, I need to send him a macaroni grill gift card too. Is that all? Yeah, it's 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 actually kind of interesting because as you you do what typically people think is oh this is valuing I give you a reward that actually can you know it's 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 a chasing the tail because I, I contrast these two systems of a dopaminergic reward system versus a serotonergic which is a different brain pathway that that responds to relationships that never gets that's a zero that's never a a, a a game that gets diminishing. You can keep adding and adding and adding to that game, but every time you play the other game of dopamine, uh, it, it always is a zero-sum game where it subtracts and subtracts and subtracts. You pull out of that account and there's less there every time you pull out of the account. So explain to, okay, treat me like an idiot, which isn't okay. hard. Uh, <laughs> dopamine versus serotonin. Tell me, tell sure. me what we're dealing with here. Sure. So this is part of the problem is people, there are two systems that, that give a reward in human brains, okay? And uh, they're, they're very similar in how they feel. Like I feel happy when I reach a goal or, or get a surprise. Yay. My brain goes, yes, something good. And gives me a little boost of happy hormones and happy neurotransmitters. And the same thing happens when with serotonin, which is basically gives me a rewards when I feel like, hey, I'm connected and valued in, in, with the, in the community that I am in the culture that I'm in. Um, the difference between the true is that dopamine is yes and diminishment. So it's like, yes, but not satisfied. And this is yes and content and satisfied. I don't need more. So this is constantly needing more. And this is constantly gaining and in, in, in strengthening the mind, the brain, the body in, in that positive outcome, that positive uh, thriving of a human being. So this one's diminishing us, even though it makes us happy. This one's increasing us. Okay. So just more and more serotonin makes me feel part of my, I mean, we're, we're hardwired through evolutionary biology to be a part of a tribe, be a part of a group, to have connection. Yeah, we're designed for that. Yeah, exactly. And it's amazing. You crack open the brain and, and people just aren't aware of that. Um, they think that it, it, these rewards come very quick and, and often and they're everywhere. You know, they're, they're swiping of our phone to the, to the binging of our, of our entertainment to the um, – you know, the way that we're managing people and all of those things combined. And that's the, the cycle that management's know, management knows and individuals know. And so they, they spend their lifetime pursuing it and they're wondering, why aren't I satisfied? So that's where you get the 70% of people and 50% of people are always looking for new jobs because they're thinking, if I just get to something new, if I just get to another pathway, but they don't know what they really want and what they really really want to focus on what really motivates them. And once they start to know that and orientate them, their lives and their culture around that, things start to move in a different direction completely. And that's interesting because maybe we know with that, you know, uh, subconsciously, but it's amazing how many people, you know, I've interviewed, you know, easily thousands of people over my HR career. And um, it's interesting how few people know what they really want or how few people exactly. can articulate even what their own values are. I've got a pres I've got a series of presentations I do for leaders and at HR conferences about around values and ethics and all of that. Correct. And when I start asking people, so tell me what your personal values are, I get dumb looks. Yeah. And and uh, and so so how do how does an individual even you know respond or know what their values are in order to know what kind of company they want to work for? Yeah, exactly. So the the first thing is I find I help people find that one thing, which is valuing people. 
And then the question is like, well, how do you achieve that? And I've got three core sciences that I, that I help people develop because there's more methodology, there's more detail to that, that finding a value and maintaining a value between us as human beings. And it kind of deals, falls in three nice categories. There's a science that deals with the past, which is like your personality, the science that deals with the present, which is your emotional ability to emotionally engage with others. So there's an emotional science component. And then, like you were saying, there's a value science component and people need, aren't really educated in how to actually accomplish those three uh, different arrows that are all pointing to how to value one another. And so when you set, start setting up structures with these three core skills, then people and leaders can start generating that, that space of value that people are attracted to. So it's, they're not attracted to the individual, they're attracted to communities and groups where I feel really valued here. You know, I can, I can, I can express those three different uh, timeframes and those three different sciences and, and skills in, in your culture. So those are the, the details that help you build the value in culture. Cause it's not enough to just go, I'd like that. Cause most HR staff and pre- preaching to the choir, they all want to create a culture that, that values people. They just, uh, they just need more structure and more detail to be able to build a culture that actually does that. So, this is kind of the, the flip side of, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave managers. But the flip side is they stay, but they stay with companies because of the culture then is what you're really saying. Because they're, they're part of that, they're part of that in group. That's it. So, so I've, I, um, I've been doing a lot of reading lately uh, about in group bias and how to overcome in group bias and employee selection and kinds of things like that. But this is an instance where we want to promote in group bias. Where we, or at least we want, we want people to to be connected and be part of an identifiable group, assuming that it's not nineteen, you know, thirty eight, and it's the it's the Nazi party. We want, but you know, we're looking, you know, if we can find positive groups for for folks and create a, a positive environment that people want to be part of, they'll stick around. That's right. That's a really good point. Is is it's the creation of of cultures of communities of groups that create and foster that valuing experience that causes people to be attracted to that, you know, it's attachment. So our, what I'm saying is that our fundamental wiring as human beings is that's our fundamental wiring is that we're not fundamentally wired to use dopamine the way we're using it. Uh, We're we're kind of hacking it and and jerry-rigging it with so many things that are in our culture. Our food is engineered that way. Our marketing is engineered that way. Our electronics are engineered that way. Our leadership is engineered that way. And so we're kind of like wired for this. You know, we're exhausted all the time. Exhausted, you know, and people are constantly searching, where where can I find it? And and it actually does exhaust you physiologically. It tells your brain to downregulate. You know, it's like, don't show up. We don't have very much energy. And so it physiologically makes you less intelligent, less energized, less happy, more depressed. Just poof. And whereas the other other pathway makes you physiologically more energized, more intelligent, more engaged, and, and stay and just thriving as a human being. Peak humanity happens in that kind of a cu- culture. Peak humanity, I like that. Yeah. So you mentioned three kinds of science, and the first was personality. Are we talking about? The, the big four, the big eight, those, those traditional yeah, things. Five. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, so 
We've seen that in MBTI or DISC, things like those are the kind of sciences you're talking about there on the personality side or? Correct. Correct. So I walk, I walk people through, you know, what, it, what is best practice? I, I, so I, I, I like to use those three areas and, and label them as three sciences so that people don't think this whole realm is just woo-woo feelings. You know, right. there's, there's validated studies that have been done in, for 30 years in each one of these areas that I'm talking about that have been done in the workplace for, for decades. So you, we're not talking about like, gee, I, I hope this works. And I, gee, I hope this has outcomes. No, these things are, are you know, are almost psychological laws that you're applying to to the communities that you're working in. And that's what I'm bringing to, to, to these organizations so that they feel comfortable as organizations in implementing these things that we're not the first people to implement this and we're not the first people to, to think this through. What is kind of unique is that I'm bringing these together as methodologies to help create value space, valuing culture with others. Like personality science in particular helps people to engage with their past and lead them towards their strengths. Um, so often in leadership, we, we find out right away what, what somebody's not good at. And we tend to give them their, their performance report based on what they're not good at versus like, here are your three top strengths. How do we maximize that? And let me help you coach you to how to maximize your strengths. And you can never do that if you don't know what they really are. So the big five personality tests um, is better at popping out that those, those strengths, those personality strengths, better than any other test because it's so highly validated. You're not going to get some errant response because of the gen the gender of the individual taking the test without diving too deep let's talk about that a little bit more what what does does the big five tell you about an employee okay so um it's five factors which is the acronym is ocean which is openness so openness is critical like if you're going to launch a new software initiative you're going to know which employees are going to respond like yay this is a great idea and, and the other ones are going to be like no, I don't want that. And you think, oh, the people that are resisting it, they're bad people. No, they're not. They're the people that once you give them the software and they're used to it, they're going to be like, let's never change this. I like it so much. Whereas the other guys are going to be like, hey, I found a new piece of software. We should try yeah. this. And you're like, Stop shiny it. objects. Yeah, yeah. Shiny objects. So yeah. knowing the dynamic, because it, it, it literally changes their perception that that employee will have. And that's just one factor. There's There's four other factors that we could go into. But that's huge. If you know, you know, half of your employees are going to thrive under a change process and half of them are not and which ones they are, that's a game changer. So that's that that controls how you roll out a, a program, uh, an initiative or whatever it is, how you how you sell it to employees. Exactly. And what seat you put them in. You put the highly open people in the research team. You put the highly stable people in the accounting team. You know, you yeah. don't want them to innovate. You want them to stick yeah. to the rules. Right. I and, want them and, to execute, execute, execute. I don't want them thinking big all the time. Yeah. Right? And, and, sense, and, the, yeah. and the people that low on the opus, they never get bored of executing the rules well. They just love it. You know, it just makes them happy. And these people over here, it's like after a week, they're like, can we change the rules? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> so you're putting people in the right seat and you're, you're, you're keeping people, you're leading them to their strengths. So you're putting them in the right strengths so they can work on their strengths. And then you're coaching them to like, use it more, use it more, maximize this. Instead of saying, you're not good at sticking to the project. It's like, well, duh. You know, that's not who they are. Put a square peg in a round hole, right? Exactly. And, exactly. and I remember the first time back in the 90s uh, when I took an actual, I mean, 
in the early nineties and, and there was, there were a lot of bad behavioral assessments out there. Yeah, but I took a really good one in the, in the mid to late nineties around 97. And it was so liberating for me because suddenly all these projects that I could never quite complete, you know, I'm horrible at, you know, finishing projects and executing details and all of that. And I beat myself up for it throughout, you know, the first part of my career because why can't I get this done? And then I realized, oh, well, that's because, you know, I'm what you would call a highly open person, I guess. I'm, you know, in DISC, I'm a high D and uh, uh, and predictive index, uh, you know, that's a high A. But that whole idea that uh, that this is what I'm good at. I need to focus on big picture stuff and solving big problems and doing those kinds of things and then have people around me who love to execute and who like to, you know, follow through on that and who will, will trust me and take my lead. And it's so liberating. So that's it the is. personality part, yeah. right? So, so I, then what- Can I interrupt yeah. this for a second and take yeah, a small yeah, yeah. break? Unfortunately, my utility just turned on my gas and I'm I'm starting to smell it in this room. I just opened the Oh, door. no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll wait guys. for you. <laughs> sure. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Recert Credits. Then select episode 14 and enter the keyword Randall. That's R-A-N-D-A-L. On Thursday, October 14th, I'll be hosting a free webinar entitled the business case for becoming a second chance employer. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for HRCI and SHRM certified professionals. You can register for the free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after October 14th, you can still watch the recording of the webinar as well as all of our previous webinars on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Randall Weidenauer. My apologies. I just didn't want to pass out halfway through the. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, it would be, it would certainly be a memorable podcast if you blew up halfway through it. But yeah. Okay. Well, we were, we were, we were talking about the person and we're just going to go right on. Uh, we were talking about person, the personality piece. Um, What's emotion? What when you're talking about the emotional science, wh- where does that come in? So this is the biggest and probably most difficult for most uh, leaders to execute, because you know in business school or engineering school you get elevated to your position because you're a great engineer, great software engineer. You're not, you're never taught like, oh, there's emotional science 101. Um, and this is about can most people think I need to get my my fellow employees to stop feeling whatever they're feeling. They're agitated so. I need to fix them, to tell them to stop it. And really it's about engaging with them where they're at emotionally. And that creates emotional safety, which leads to all of these great outcomes. It increases the the ability to learn, the ability to feel known, the, the ability to research, to fail, to grow. All of that requires an emotional component. And people don't realize that really uh, emotions is a language that is really our first language. There's actually half of our brain in neuroscience that's it's 
attuned to the grammar and the words on the left side. And the ref, right brain has the similar patches of the brain that are just uh, decoding the emotional nuance of everything that's said, the face that you have, the attitude, the, you know, the body language of, of the boss that when he walks through the door. All of that's processed, and there's huge portions of the brains that are that are dedicated to decoding the emotional nuance of every interaction. And so, the leader that ignores that is not is only communicating with about 20% of actual communication that happens. So, it's critical to create that emotional space that's safe. That when I come in and I say we just missed the deadline, the boss is already there, going, "This is going to be hard for us all," you know. Um, just like um, mostly in customer service, they understand this right away. When the customer calls in and complains, they teach the customer service agent to go, oh, that must be really difficult. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And then suddenly through that empathy, the whole situation is diffused. Whereas a lot of leaders aren't trained in that similar technique of, of being able to do that. And it, it requires a different approach to handling emotions than most people are aware of. I, I use a, a science called... ACT that is developed by Steve Hayes and again is validated over 30 years of studies that helps uh, leaders and teams to be able to gain perspective on emotion rather than uh, trying to shut emotion off, <laughs> which is impossible. And so, so if a if a manager is equipped to recognize somebody's or it even anticipates somebody's emotional response to a circumstance. Then again, they can manage their uh, how they communicate things. Even maybe the kinds of kind of assign. You know, there are certain people. Certain people would be great on the customer service desk at a Target the day after Christmas, and other people just wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And so, the, dealing with those kind of stressors, those kinds of things, yeah. would be Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and uniquely, most most leaders can't do that for themselves. So the first step is being able to 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 recognize your own own emotional responses and gain perspective on those so you're not overreacting. Most leaders use their the strength and the power that they're given to silence the emotions of the people in their team. So because they're uncomfortable with the feelings of the team, they just go with the power and they go there, it's all better. And you know, most employees will smile and nod and move on. But once they get back to their desks, they're just like, they let go. And There's no crying in baseball. That's right. right. And, you know, everyone will, will show their game face, you know, to the to the boss. Uh, but when the boss is gone, all those emotions will come out and they will have that detrimental effect of of he really didn't understand me or she didn't really understand what was going on. I felt shut down. I felt closed off. And I'm never going to trust that person again. It's like it's like it's it's in those engagements where trust is lost. So these are critical. And, and that's like, easy to lose and hard and to if get you've back. Been in, if you've been in management, you know when you've lost it with a with a with a coworker. It's just like it's gone, and it's really hard to bring it back. And that third part was what values, right? That was value the third science, science, and this is something so, that you said. What does that look like? Yeah, with. yeah. Well, we've yeah we've been big on that for a long time in our organization, and I mean, I always argue that most of the time when you have to terminate an employee, it's not because of competencies. Uh, or even usually, even their their uh, you know their their day to day job performance, it's almost always a values issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if if you know, and I, usually if the values aren't aligned, I, I blame the employer more, more than I do the employee because they put the wrong the wrong person in the wrong seat. So True. tell me tell me how you're using values in in, in creating a, a sure a, a sure. Um, there's two different ways. First of all, uh, a lot of times values are created 
in most corporate situations from like the corporate down, you know, and like what you're describing is really important that that individual has to discover their values and how they fit with the corporate values, you know, so that they can say, this is my value. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing and how I'm doing what I'm doing because of my own personal integrity, my own personal values. Um, so that's one level. And a lot of times the other level is, is that I connect it to that universal motivator of the highest value is really valuing and valuing others. It's not random. Um, I actually give a rubrics for people to understand values with, and it's not just something that I've developed. It's something that was developed by um, Viktor Frankl. If you're familiar with the man's search mm-hmm. for meaning, search for he meaning. gives us like three tiers of values that when you start to understand those and you start to dissect values in that way, you can start to see your way through it because there's, there's thousands of values words. And I used to hand out just like, here's a sheet of paper, pick out what you think are your values. And it was very disorganizing and um, it didn't really help people to understand themselves or values very well and how they were all kind of interconnected. Um, I really see all values as a subset of valuing people. Everything Mm -hmm. that we do, it, that is under the term of values, it, it basically is connected in some way or form to valuing people and uh, helping people to understand how that, that thread comes through is very powerful. So this kind, you know, especially when it comes to values and emotion, but probably all the way across, it sounds like to use, to have any understanding of this, you've got to have a pretty self-aware manager to start with. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of managers over the years who, thought they had some unique insight into the human soul mm-hmm. and, uh, and you know, what they were really doing is playing to their own biases and things. So how does a manager develop the, the self-awareness to understand where they stand and, and so they can begin to understand their employees and the relationships there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a good question, Mike. And, and that's why I, I feel it's really important for their, I take people through sort of three demographic levels. First, I start on the, on the, on the level of self or individual. So that manager needs to go through those three sciences about their own personality, their own emotional awareness, and their own personal values first. And then they can get to the team level, which is the second level where they start to coordinate, like how does our person, how do our personality dynamics work out as a team? Are we, are we functioning well emotionally as a team? And how do our values work together to achieve what we're doing? Um, so it really, that manager needs to start off with himself first. And if they don't develop that, that self-evaluation or that self-awareness first, then when they go to the team, uh, they don't have much to give. So it is important for, for, your, for higher leadership to catch on to the, these concepts uh, very early on and even beforehand. And then, uh, you know, the process that I, that I have worked out has, has like a workshop where you get sort of the download, but then there's nine weeks of review because, you know, if, if you go to a foreign culture, you don't expect to, to visit, you know, uh, Japan and understand J- Japanese culture after you've been a tourist for a week. You know, you have to dive in, immerse yourself, learn the language, spend the time, and then you learn the culture. So um, that's true of organizational culture too. It takes a lot of intentionality, a lot of time, and a lot of focus but the payouts are, are huge. Yeah, and I think a lot of managers uh, and business leaders want quick results, right? I've got a turnover problem. I need to fix it in this quarter. And it sounds like that's not something you're going to fix in one quarter necessarily. That that's something that's going to, if you, you know, take take a lot more time um, 
than than just you yeah know, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's a great culture point. and three easy lessons or whatever <laughs> culture so, yeah. a culture pill that you can take and, yeah, and everything will exactly. be fine yes um this is a change um a change dynamic and interestingly studying at mit they actually have this dynamic where it's called the, the capabilities trap as you grow capabilities your capabilities drop and you have to be very aware of that as, as a management team as leadership that as you say, hey, I've got a great new culture program. Everybody's going to be like, yeah, but it takes too much time. We're getting less done. And mm-hmm. then they bail out sure. of the program and criticize it. So it takes a lot of fortitude from the leadership going, this is going to work. And, and to show people that dynamic, it's going to go down. But then we're going we're gonna to rise way above our starting point and become a, a culture that can do that dip gain, dip gain. And so you, you have that, that a constant, a culture that does these little these little maneuvers, but they're constantly going up is the culture that can have that long, that long game mindset. Um, it's the short term, like, Hey, we lost five minutes of productivity. So I'm going to bail out and do my shortcuts and forget about this culture stuff. The long game of this is statistics show that according to Gallup with disengaged employees, you're losing up to 20% of, of your productivity. That's a day a week. So if you can't take 15 minutes to work on culture to eventually gain a whole day of productivity, that's that's very short-sighted management indeed. And you look at the cost of of replacing employees who've who decided this isn't the place they want to be and, and move on to greener pastures. Uh, and you know if that's 15 or 20 or 25 percent of your workforce annually, that yeah. gets real expensive real quick. Yeah, and for HR directors, you know it's the difference between that 30 40 percent turnover and and 12% or 10% turnover, which is more uh, just natural attrition. So, you know, it's huge, particularly in today's workforce marketplace. The workforce marketplace in most regions is so competitive. Um, people just can't find workers, let alone retain them. So uh, to me, this is, this is going to be the competitive advantage of organizations in the future. This is that extra 20, 25% efficiency that's going to make you more competitive. One last question. So how do you, you, you work with a lot of companies um, and a lot of them I'm sure are remote. How is, how is, how have these sciences and this stuff affected uh, employ, employers who have a, a, a remote workforce or a hybrid workforce even? For sure. Um, it, it's been, it's been very difficult. When you talk to HR directors everywhere, you know, I was just at a trade show with HR directors and they were like, we're exhausted. We're falling over. We're, we used to come to these shows and got rejuvenated. We're just sort of collapsing on the shores of them. Um, I think it's exhausting for everyone. And, uh, you know, um, there's studies that show when you, when you shift an environment, there's an, there's an initial, like when you change the lighting and you put more lighting in a, in a warehouse, the warehouse workers work faster for about a certain period of time. But then when you go back and turn the lighting back down, the productivity goes up again because you made a change to the environment. So we've seen a little uptake in, in the working from home because it's a new environment, but eventually that lack of connection, you know, according to just scientific studies, it's going to go down. So it's critical that we come back together and not leave things in permanent remote status, even though you might gain some finance for having fewer, um, you know, square feet that you have to rent. Uh, but ultimately, people are made to engage with people in, in a real world physical way. And there is there's a veil that happens through Zoom that just is not the same. There's there's actually like a, a two nanosecond lag 
but before I say something and actually something comes becomes conveyed, and that's confusing to the brain because we've already we've already ascertained emotion in two nanoseconds, and when everything is like two nanoseconds behind, our brains are like not catching the emotional connection wow. uh, that you do in a live connection. There's just no replacing that. That's great. That's all the time we have. If 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 listeners want more information on Culture VP. Uh, where would they get that? Yeah, they can go to vpculture.com. And, oh, VP uh, culture. I said VP culture. culture. VP. So that stands yeah. for valuing people culture. Oh, oh okay. There value you go. People culture. So, okay. Valuepeopleculture.com because that's what it's all about. And of course, uh, anybody who's in the Fort Worth area can see you speak uh, at Fort Worth HR's monthly luncheon on October 20th. And they can register for that at fwhr.org. Thanks for being with us today, Randall. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rod, Rob Upchurch is our technical producer and Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Katie Bautista, keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you professionally or personally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.